The sound brings me Our back home is finally built. to this moment. It's as if I wrote this, but without tragedy, only truth. I'm living with or against the earth. Who are these people we've become? The one people I spent I'm calling you on the telephone like you asked me to. Do you remember telephone calls? I'm glad you asked. This is Active Listening, a new dramatist's podcast series that invites the resident playwrights to experiment with story, intimacy, and immediacy through sound experiences. This initiative was born of the questions that became urgent as our pandemic lockdowns began. What are creative alternatives to gathering together in rooms? What might a play for the ear sound like? Each episode is written, recorded, and produced by a different resident playwright. This one features work by Oren Squire, about which he writes, This is a story about forgetting and remembering told through my mom. I was in quarantine for three months with my parents. My mom is 75 years old and runs around the house doing errands, organizing finances, and taking care of my dad, who is on home hospice care. Amidst all this, my mom worried that she was losing her memory, so we decided to play a game. This is Memories of My Mom by Oren Squire. Memories of My Mom by Oren Squire. Prologue. This is a story about forgetfulness told through my mom. I was in quarantine for three months with my parents down in Miami. My dad is on home hospice care and doesn't speak much anymore. So really, it was just me and my mom, Yvonne Boston Squire. She is 75 years old and runs around the house doing errands, organizing finances, taking care of my dad, and all around being an amazing woman. But she worries that she is losing her memory. So we decided to play a game. Month one. Every morning it starts with the bells. That is the sound of my mom looking for her phone. A few years ago, I bought her an Apple Watch. This is the primary function of my mom's Apple Watch. I told my mom that we were going to play a memory game. At the start of March, I flew down to Miami to see the premiere of my musical. I had no intention of seeing my parents. The theater company put me up in a hotel room on South Beach, and I was committed to working on my TV episode rewriting the musical and previews, and living a fabulous life of champagne and standing ovations. When the world stopped. The play closed, the TV production was shuttered, and all those preview applauses never materialized into an opening night. I ended up back home at my parents' place. It was me, my mom, and my dying dad who can't really talk or move, or remember. He lies in bed and moans in the other room like a Beckett play. So we decided to play this game as a way of preserving time. I told her I will record her memories. And one other thing, I told my mom that we were going to speak in complete sentences. I know that speaking in complete sentences is a strange phenomenon to theater folks. 
I know that most dialogue that is considered earthy and real is like, um, you know, ellipses, cause like whatever. But I do think that our breakdown in language and inability to write and speak in complete sentences has led to our inability to have complete full thoughts. Our inability to complete full thoughts has led to our fragmented collective consciousness. In turn, our minds are more susceptible to dementia, ADHD, and Alzheimer's. I, rem I believe that remembering things in complete full adult sentences may serve as a tonic for this age of never ending ellipses and emojis and valley girl speaks. During the course of this exercise, I have politely stopped my mom when the subject veers off or when her words start to fragment. I rephrase her previous statement and then encourage her to move on. In elementary school, we were not only required to speak in complete sentences and do sentence graphs, but we had to commit poetry to memory. We had to recite sonnets and haikus and villanelles because the process of reciting poetry is an even higher form of communication. Thus, our communication skills improved as well as our cognitive skills. Poetry, theater, complete sentences. These are exercises for a wandering mind, for a forgetting mind. And this is a way to preserve history, memory, and sanity in the middle of a dying world. It is the only thing I have control over as a writer. Finally, the ringing stopped because my mom had found her phone. She announces, hey, I found my phone. And I tell her it's time to record a memory. My mom says she wants to do it later. And I say, we can do it right now. She asks, you're not doing theater again, are you? Mom, there's no such thing as theater right now. Hmm. It's good that theater is gone. Why is that, Mom? I always found it boring. I never understood why it was so boring. I try to keep my mom on track. Mom, what is your memory today? I don't know how to do this. It's breathing. Don't think about how you breathe. You just release and the lungs do the work. That's what memory is. Don't think. Just let go. My mom remembers. I got a bike for a Christmas present one year. Now, this was back in Winsboro, South Carolina, and they didn't have sidewalks. My mother, your grandmother, was with a very young man named Blake Belton, who later went crazy and tried to kill us. Excuse me, what? Anyway, when I got the bike, Blake said, let's take her downtown. That's where there were paved roads and sidewalks. Now I'm five years old and riding a bike in downtown Winsboro with cars and trucks. I almost got hit a few times and then my mom couldn't take the fear anymore. That was the last time I rode my bike downtown. There, that is a memory. Thank you, mom. What about the crazy man who was dating your mom? That's my father. Anyway, that is a memory. That is what you get today. Now it's time for Judge Judy.
month two. This is my bell. I use it in meditation. It is a locator. When my mind starts to wander, the sound brings me back to this moment, the second month of quarantine. What was supposed to be a shutdown of a few weeks is now looking like the plague of our time. I have started using whole food delivery and Uber Eats and Postmates and home yoga and getting used to the fact that all the days are starting to blend together. I have been recording my mom's memories. Every time she wanders close to the story of her dad, Blake Belton, she jumps back, fragments, stutters. And I try to just get her to stay with the thought, the complete sentence. My mom's memories. I remember we had a pecan tree on one side of the house and a peach tree on the other. My mom's memories. We lived in the country, so the neighborhood was desegregated. Everybody was too poor to try to be fancy. There was a white lady who lived down the street. My mom would go over to her place. It was one of the few places my mom would let me go. My maternal grandmother, Annie Boston. My mom remembers her. Your grandmother was complicated. She always seemed to be attracted to the wrong man. I would try to look out for her. I guess I became her parent. I would stay up to make sure she got home. Sometimes I had to go out and find her. I didn't really have a childhood. I was my mom's parent. That's why I think I never learned how to have fun. I think that's why I don't enjoy theater. I ask her, what does theater have to do with this? All you people playing make-believe, you have to have a childhood to play make-believe. You have to have the leisure to daydream and imagine. I was called an old lady as a little girl. I was so serious. Point of clarification. I have never known my mother to laugh frivolously or gasp at a dramatic show or express any visceral reaction to art. She watches football and basketball and the news, and Rachel Maddow, and judge shows, and cooking shows like Chopped. Sitcoms and dramas hold no interest for her. I have never seen my mom tell a joke. One time when I was six years old, my mom was driving in a mall parking lot and got lost. In frustration, she blurted out, well, I'll be a monkey's uncle. I have never, I had never heard that phrase before, but I laughed and laughed. I fell out of my chair and laughed until I couldn't breathe. It wasn't that it was funny. It's that hearing those words come from my mother was so shocking and unexpected that I laughed in astonishment. My mom did not laugh. She was worried that I was having a seizure. Oh, my mom is looking for her phone. I asked her about her father, Blake, my grandfather, and she pretends like she doesn't hear me. She continues looking for her phone. I dropped the question. It's not important and she's not ready. And maybe I'm not either. It's her memory. I'm just trying to preserve them. Month three. 
Around the third month of quarantine, there is no day or night with your parents. There's just one long rolling list of grievances and past wrongs, like a roll of toilet paper that just goes on and on forever and is covered in shit. I meditate on my grandfather, the man who terrorized my mom and grandmother. I meditate on Blake Belton and how his awfulness and his abuse led to my grandmother fleeing in the middle of the night from South Carolina, leaving in the back of a car and heading all the way down to Miami, where we are right now. And then how my mom, the old lady at five years old, walked up and down the paved street to Miami looking for friends. And finally, she found my dad, who is in the other room right now. And I'm here, and she's here, and we are all here because of that awful man that my mom does not want to remember. And now it is time for me to pack and leave. <clears throat> it's been three months. It's time to go back to New York. <clears throat> my mom gets nervous. What about the plane? What about mask? Am I taking the N95 or just the KN95 mask? Do I have enough hand sanitizer? I tell her that I'll be fine. And I'll still ask her for memories every once in a while. And then she offers up something. My mom remembers. <clears throat> it was an ice cream cone. I was five years old and he offered me an ice cream cone if I told on my mother. Blake was a drinker and he was mentally ill. And he bribed me with an ice cream cone to say that my mom was doing something she wasn't probably hanging around another man. And then he gave me five cents. I went off and I got my ice cream. And when I came back, my mom, your grandmother, had bruises all over her face. I regretted taking the five cents. She got beat up because I lied so I could get ice cream. I always regretted that. I remind my mother that she was a kid and her father was a sick man who was going to be violent against Grandma Annie anyway. She nods and keeps repeating the memory. An ice cream cone. It's funny how you remember things. I can't even remember my father's face. He always stood over me. He never looked me in the eye. So I just remember him as this shadow. But I can remember that ice cream cone. I record the last memory in my journal, and then I get ready to leave. My mom warns me about theater and going back to New York City. She thinks theater is dead and boring and only for the privileged people who had happy childhoods. She wants to know why I keep going back. Let's see how to explain this. I know that theater is comatose and I don't know when it will be back. And my mom, like millions of people, doesn't get it. Why bother? There is Netflix and CBS and movies. Why do I care about theater? Why am I going back to New York City for something so elitist, racist, expensive, stupid, and boring? I have worked in theater for almost 20 years. 
I know it's boring. I, more than anyone else, know that theater is boring as hell. That's the point. To be uncomfortable, to be out of my element, and to be bored, and to have to sit with the boredom. That's what theater teaches. It is yoga of patience. You know what you do when there's something bad or boring on Netflix? You press a button, you delete it, you scroll, you press another button. And then an algorithm is crunched by a billion computers to make sure that that boring choice is never presented to you again. There is no growth in this. There is no challenge. Comfort is death. But when you're really bored and you have to look again, sit, squirm, look again, then you actually learn something about yourself. Theater needs to be difficult and boring and ritualistic, out of pocket and uncomfortable because that is where the empathy is. That's where the humanity is. That's where the growth and discovery happens. There is no discovery in Netflix. There is no comfort beyond the buttons. There is no character growth in pushing these buttons and zapping something from my existence. And yes, at this point, I am more telling her this to win an argument, but I am also serious. I am being an elitist because someone needs to be these days. I am calling on culture and taste and refinement and adult qualities that only come through practice. Like these complete sentences, these things only happen in theater. And I fear that in the age of streaming TV, we are raising comfortable babies, fragile, easily triggered, self-involved toddlers, always looking for a safe space to nap. And there is something being lost in this space with my mom. And there is something now that we are dealing with. There is something uncomfortable, difficult, boring, arduous that I am enduring and have endured for three months. It is the ultimate discomfort, dying. I am watching my dad's body sag with water as his kidneys fail. I am watching my mom ding her Apple watch again and again to locate her phone, like some 21st century Beckett endgame. I am watching them lose their minds and their bodies. My parents, the first gods I knew in this world, the support and foundation of my intellect, my emotions, my body, my soul. I am watching a mirror reflection of myself in the future, and I am deeply uncomfortable, unnerved, bored, worried, and there is no button I can press to extinguish this show or have it removed from my algorithm. This is theater. I have to sit with this if I want to grow. I have to sit with watching them. And that is why theater is necessary. That is why my mom must remember the ice cream cone and the shadow of the man who was her father.
I ring my bell. And my mom rings hers. We are both looking for something, trying to remember our objects, her phone in my mind. We all must remember until the time comes when we can gather again and share and tell stories as theater makers and as audience members and engage in frivolous make-believe that entertains us, that challenges us, and bores us. We must keep remembering. That is what I'm trying to do. Thank you. The end. You just heard Memories of My Mom. It was written, recorded, and sound designed by Oren Squire. Active Listening is a project of New Dramatists and is produced by Corinne Keithley-Sires and Melissa Tien. More information on the series and a sonic visualization of each episode can be found by going to newdramatists.org slash active listening. New Dramatists is one of the country's leading playwright centers and a nationally recognized new play laboratory. Its mission is to provide playwrights with time, space, and resources in the company of gifted peers to create work, realize their artistic potential, and make lasting contributions to the theater. Active listening is made possible with generous support from the Venturous Theatre Fund of the Tides Foundation.